0: The markets, we just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, The Finance Coast and Mohamed Nalla. Together, we have more than 25 years of
1: combined experience in the markets.
0: In addition to our weekly free show that you know and love, we have now launched Magic Markets Premium, a weekly show for our subscribers in which we give detailed analysis on global stocks every premium show is accompanied
1: by a report covering the company's strategic drivers its operating environment its competitors bull versus bear case technical trading indicators and a long-term investment
0: thesis at just 99 rand per month we are committed to making institutional level analysis affordable for all investors and traders visit magic-markets.com to go premium and unlock your full potential in the markets This podcast is brought to you by TRIVE South Africa, your gateway to the JSE and global markets. Providing an in-depth online trading experience, TRIVE exists to empower progression. You can simply and securely trade and invest in JSE and US stocks, as well as leveraged products, or invest in tax-free savings accounts. Visit TRIVE.co.za to find out more or follow them on social media at TRIVE underscore SA. Welcome to episode 116 of Magic Markets. It's going to be a really fast-paced episode, I think, and lots of really cool insights. We are thick in the Formula One season now, so it's not Drive to Survive today. It's more like Tribe to Survive. We've got Barry Duma from Tribe South Africa in their research team, and we'll be chatting about Aston Martin, which is a hell of an interesting stock. Very speculative, but very interesting. But before I welcome Barry Mo, hello all the way from Canada. Actually, Stroll is Canadian isn't he, now that I think about it?
1: Yeah, Ghost, always a pleasure doing this. And I I think as Formula One fans, this is going to be a different flavor on the show. I think we're all Formula One fans, all a little bit of a petrol head, maybe not all as much as as you, Ghost. But uh, yes, a nice Canadian link on this one in that uh, Stroll, not just uh, the driver, but uh, the dad as in the owner of the Aston Martin Formula One team is also Canadian, Uh, not quite from my neck of the woods. Uh, He's up from Montreal. Uh, He also incidentally owns the F1 track out here in Canada as well. So, Definitely strong links to the sport and uh, could make for some interesting discussion today. But yeah, just a pleasure doing this and uh, welcome, Barry, to Magic Markets.
2: Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks very much for having me. From all the chatter that I've heard at the office uh, about you guys, I didn't really know what to expect today. I was either in for a, a Magic Mike revival or I had to bring my Proton pack to work today. But uh, luckily, it's all Formula One and good to go on this side.
0: Yeah, I don't know. We don't even no Magic no <laughs> Mike here. We definitely don't do enough, gym for that. You might get Magic Mo, but that's something completely different. Different. There, you wrote a really interesting article on you know Aston Martin. It's obviously piqued your interest. Clearly, you know, Fernando Alonso's amazing result. They've got a great car this year. It's easy to get swept away by the romance. And there is a link between obviously the Formula One team and the listed company. But perhaps before we get into some of the more detailed stuff, you know, just a high-level overview from your side. You know, what are some of the top of mind things around? Aston Martin how clear is the link to the F1 team is it owned by the listed company is it a bit more of a sort of side-by-side branding agreement what is the story there
2: yeah so if it. Kind of take a look at the company as one. I mean, it's been around for over 110 years. The Aston Martin brand has been around quite some time. And I mean, at the offset of everything else, you have all of these events that accumulated and obviously the Formula One race that we saw now that sparked all of the interest all of a sudden. But yes, as we look at the Formula One team and the Aston Martin company as it stands today, you can obviously see that Mr. Lawrence Stroll that you guys mentioned earlier, plays a significant role within the company nowadays and i mean he has very strong links to formula one as well and uh you know it's not always a, a bed of roses when you look at these Porsche brands when they come to market or list on the exchanges as well the company has been faced with some significant end wins since its listing so if we look at the company nowadays and especially with the formula one team we have lauren stroll who initiated an investment consortium to start purchasing shares within the Aston Martin company. So I think their current holding is just over 28% currently in the Aston Martin group. And he has taken really control and taken the steering for the, the future of the brand and the company moving forward. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna jump
1: in here, Barry. I mean, just, just for the benefit of our, our listeners. It's, it's such an interesting history, just looking at, at Lawrence Stroll. I mean, I, I had curiosity a while ago, because, you know, he's been in Formula One for a while. It was the Force India team that he kind of bailed out, then rebranded. But who is Lawrence Stroll, I think, is probably a nice starting off point, since we're discussing this, in that, you know, just for background He's a Canadian investor. You know, I think he's based in Belgium actually now, probably for tax purposes, I guess. But the source of his wealth originally was tied towards luxury brands. You know, I think his, his dad was responsible for bringing an old brand, which, which some people might be familiar with called Pierre Cardin. He, he had brought that brand into Canada way back when. It formed the basis of what was effectively a luxury goods or kind of a fashion a market up here in Canada. And Lauren Stroll was then instrumental in building that out. He was behind kind of the rise of big brands like, you know, Tommy Hilfiger, Michael Kors. And that was originally, I guess, the source of a lot of his wealth. I mean, the man's independently wealthy as a billionaire. And that's that's where he kind of then segues into Formula One, because this really is a sport For the wealthy, you know, it tends to become a pet project for a lot of very wealthy people. And it's a point I want to raise here because Stroll has managed to rope along some key strategic investors. You've got, for example, the Saudi sovereign wealth fund that is actually invested in Aston Martin, the company, not just the Formula One team, they're invested in the company as well. But sometimes having these very wealthy, very deep pocketed investors in effectively passion projects or pet projects doesn't necessarily translate into those converting into good businesses. And going into the history you've indicated with Aston Martin as well, you know, Aston Martin has a history of being this fantastic pet project that just tends to lose a lot of money. And they've had several, let's call it saviors over the years. I think most notable of which was you know, a little while ago, I think in, in the late 2000s, just kind of around global financial crisis, Ford Motor Company, a stock that we covered here on Magic Markets Premium, was the owner of Aston Martin for a long time before kind of you know, spinning that out as well. So how do we reconcile pet projects of very rich people who have the ability to throw their billions into this versus a solid investment case, uh, if if I may
2: throw that question out there? Okay, fantastic. So... I think for this current situation that we see that's obviously luxury is nothing really new to Aston Martin. I mean, if you look back to the 1960s um, with the DB5 and the bond who kickstarted everything for them, people tend to get swept away by a lot of things that happen within the behaviour within the market itself. I mean, if you look at the, the current investment case, if any, for Aston Martin, day after the race, which Alonso obviously earned a podium, I mean, the share price gained by over 20% in the following day days i mean that's not necessarily because the company is doing well that's just behavior and all of the interest that surrounds formula one currently and things like drive to survive contribute a lot to this and to the f1 latest generation of viewers we can definitely see that the current share price movements are totally only regarded as a sentiment trade i mean if you look at the current share price now we're seeing it retrace back to the breakout levels that we saw after the race i mean if you look at the company's financials i mean the company is not financially sound i mean they are doing extremely poorly if anything else i mean if you look at the recent reports year-on-year pre-tax losses were significant. Operating losses increased nearly 60%. I mean, I can go on. The the fundamental picture is definitely not great, but yet we still see these anomalies within the market where people buy stock just purely based off of the fact that there is something else driving it besides revenue. So
0: Barry, I want to ask you based on that. I mean, obviously the fundamentals here are are difficult you know is this purely just a trading stock is that the way people should be thinking about this is there actually something more there because obviously if it's just a trading stock then it's very much a sentiment play um you know and it'll be worth diving into stuff like you know do you think the suv at aston martin will potentially make a big difference the dvx that's something that's worked very very well for for porsche for lamborghini uh, the pure Sangue is coming at Ferrari now. That's basically guaranteed to be a success. Aston does have a product now in the DBX, but it was late to the game. Do you see that having a significant fundamental impact?
2: Primarily now, we're looking at it as a sentiment play, right? That's notwithstanding that the company might do some beautiful things in the future, but if you look at, obviously, the product ranges, it's a bit early to tell, and what the catalyst might be for Aston Martin's product range, and obviously, ultimately, share price trajectory at this point in time. The look and feel of the DBX, I like it. It is reasonably priced. It's a little bit more expensive than, obviously, the Lamborghini Urus, but we're obviously seeing the that it might be a bit late to the party. And my expectations are that Ferrari's SUV will just blow its competitors out of the water, to be honest. And obviously that has its own metrics surrounding all of that due to great marketing and the like. But for product ranges, Aston Martin has been struggling a lot with the supply chains, they can't deliver what they promise. So they have a lot more headwinds facing the company than say a Ferrari or any one of the others in the segment.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna jump in a little bit on that point as well, because you know we, we've covered Ferrari, which goes by the ticker Race on Magic Markets Premium as well. And, uh, you know, what is interesting for us there, when we looked at it, Ghost, uh, you and I, you know, we looked at it in, in, in deep dive, so we, we might share some of this with our, our listeners, even though you're not kind of Magic Markets premium subscribers, one of the key takeaways for us on Ferrari as a stock was that, it was actually priced like a luxury goods company. You know, if you looked at Ferrari, it was priced alongside an LVMH. It was priced alongside, for example, you know Hermes, which is a very high-end luxury brand. Uh, whereas if we compare something like an Aston Martin, you know, almost looking as though it's priced as an automotive company. So you know, I, I don't know enough about this company, quite frankly, in terms of whether aston martin has a very large kind of let's call it a pillar of the business that's focusing on merchandising we know when it comes to formula one when it comes to some of these luxury brands as we've discussed barry you know i think a lot of this hinges on the ability to monetize first of all selling exceptionally highly priced vehicles but also then in terms of entrenching that brand value as a lifestyle as an aspirational brand. Uh, Have you seen anything to that effect? I mean, certainly it makes sense to me, given Stroll's historic background coming out of the luxury goods, out of the fashion market. Have you seen anything like that uh, on Aston Martin yet? Or do you think it's something that we could possibly see in the future?
2: As of yet, we haven't seen anything to the likes of yet, but I am not discounting that fact that Lawrence Stroll's expertise will come in highly um, into play as the Formula One season continues and the growth prospects of Aston Martin um, is revealed to everyone else. So at this point in time, definitely not the per se luxury automotive brand that we have been accustomed to nowadays, although it was back in the 60s, but that has changed significantly over time. Looking forward, I think we're going to see a lot of things change in the near future, especially if we see the Formula One team do exceptionally well. And I think then the whole brand stroll marketing machine will definitely fire on all cylinders. Then we'll definitely look into all kinds of different luxury brands, aspects that will come with brand Aston Martin moving forward
0: i think the challenge they face here is ultimately the luxury brands actually get to just pick their volumes right so ferrari decides every year this is how much we're going to sell and then they just price it as high as they think they can and they sell every unit every time Whereas the likes of an Aston Martin will have a very, very long way to go in that space. And it comes through actually in depreciation on the models, you know. Ferraris just don't depreciate as severely as an Aston Martin does, for example. And when you're spending several million rand on a car, uh, obviously major depreciation becomes a significant part of your buying decision ultimately. So that journey to becoming a luxury brand yeah, it's going to be a long and painful one. Uh, Mucha Stroll has got a lot of experience in that space. It's, it's going to take a lot more, I think, than just turning on the sort of marketing machine. I mean, Barry, do you see a potential, maybe even just to switch tack, about a potential takeout target being Aston Martin? I mean, there's big Saudi Arabian investors on the Shell register. There's obviously Mercedes-Benz as well. The Volkswagen Group already owns a number of luxury brands. Mercedes hasn't really played in that space. Is this an opportunity for Mercedes to potentially go in and maybe actually just take Aston Martin private, go fix the balance sheet away from the public eye? and actually get the product range right would that be something
2: definitely not discounting anything nowadays especially when it comes to formula one and any investment opportunity that we're currently seeing around the globe but yeah i mean anywhere that Toto wolf is involved and he is a part of that consortium that purchased aston martin i mean if we see him go to work I'm sure with his uh, relationships with Stroll, I would definitely not discount anything of the like. So very exciting times indeed. And that would be a, a really great alternative for the future for for the brand returning back to their luxury goods ways. Yeah,
1: I, I want to jump in here because, it, I mean, we've we've got these personalities. We've got Lauren Stroll. We've got Toto Wolff involved. You know, we've got the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund. So it's, it's almost as though... You know, you either believe in this or you don't. I mean, to, Barry, to your point earlier, you know, the, the stock's running on, on sentiment. The stock's not running on the fact that they make any money, <laughs> right? Not at this stage. Uh, in fact, I was I was actually having a little bit of a laugh in that w- w- when I look at the share price, this thing is completely collapsed. It's almost a little bit of a, of, of, of a penny stock at this point in time. So I, I think what Ghost is throwing on the table, certainly from a potential takeover target, uh, is not something that we could necessarily just sniff at. I think it's, it's, it's quite interesting to consider. Um, I must also say that, you know, when you look at some of these big anchor investors, if you're looking at, for example, the, the Saudi Sovereign Fund, uh, very recently, or not very recently, over the last couple of years, they are also substantial investors in a small EV company called Lucid Motors. Now, Lucid Motors, similar to Aston Martin, doesn't make any money at this point in time. But if you look at their vehicles, they are fantastic. They are beautiful cars, you know, very much at the premium end of the EV market. They're based out in California. And so, again, there's possibly an opportunity there amongst other players in this ecosystem, whether that's, you know, the Saudi saying, hey, we've got this Lucid stake, we've got Aston Martin, why don't we kind of bundle this together into a kind of an automotive manufacturer? There's also, as you indicated, you know, Mercedes-Benz, they potentially would be there. And I certainly think if I were looking at this as an investor, as a trader, uh, that speculative element is maybe appealing to me. Because if I look at this based purely on numbers, there's a lot hanging on just you know vapor, on brand, on big personalities. We've seen how badly that can go, even in a market like South Africa, when you have these big personalities, I'm not gonna use names, uh, they're out there, the market knows them, and then their stock completely collapses. I would be very hesitant kind of hanging my hat on just kind of the, let's call it the personalities behind this business, but the speculative element of there being, let's call it bigger players with bigger balance sheets and their ability to maybe take Aston Martin out again, maybe take it private, incubate it turn it into a revenue generating into a a profit center once again, that's something that's interesting. And with a stock down again in penny stock type of territory, uh, that might be something that I would be, be willing to consider. Barry, my question to you on this would be, you know, in terms of trading activity, you know, obviously we're speaking to you, you're from Tribe. I assume that any investors looking to even get involved from a speculative perspective would be able to find the stock on Tribe's platform. Is that correct?
2: Yes, definitely. So coming back to the merits of it being a speculative stock in nature, and I totally agree with that at this point in time, and especially if you're looking at the movement of the share price currently, you know... Even though it is speculative in nature, who knows, you know, Aston Martin might turn around to be the next race opportunity in the distant future, five, six, seven, eight years from now. I mean, stranger things definitely have happened. As far from the EV space, you know, it doesn't seem to my mind really at this point in time that there's so much interest hanging off of those combinations of factors if you can possibly see an Aston Martin move into the EV space as well, stranger things have also happened. But for me, the EV market is really not seemingly taking off as we all would have liked see it happen. I mean, some people might be thinking, is it a fad? Was it a fad? Is is it still picking up? For me personally, I definitely think the EV market has its own challenges. I mean, anything trying to address the global warming problem, in essence, amplifying mining resources and creating bigger problems, just sounds like it's necessarily not benefiting Mother Earth, but obviously the people who own these electric vehicle companies. But that's definitely not discounting the fact that we are here to obviously look for investment opportunities or trading opportunities of speculative investment opportunities. And there are definitely loads of them in the market currently within this space, all over, whether it be EV, normal uh, automotive makers, and especially with Aston Martin as well. I mean, definitely from a technical aspect, there might be more in the near future if any trend holds up or any speculative new news from Stroll and the company comes to market again. So yeah, definitely exciting opportunity. Would I buy this and hold this for the long-term currently? now possibly not so that's something that we'll definitely have to revisit as soon as the balance sheets look a bit better but uh, definitely from a speculative nature I don't think there's a a better opportunity to look at this stock than now.
0: Perry I just want to reference something in the article that you wrote specifically around the short squeeze and anyone who's been kind of following markets for the last couple of years maybe didn't have much experience before that would have learned about short squeezes with something like GameStop certainly not the only one there's been others um, you know how does a short squeeze actually work? And what do you think has happened here, potentially with Aston Martin in the you know aftermath of that race? Was
2: there a squeeze? Definitely, there were lots of speculation, a lot of rumors that, yeah, this was a, a short squeeze that was taking place. But if you really look at the metrics of a short squeeze, I mean, you have to look at the short positions that were taken on the company itself. At this point in time, the short interest on the outstanding shares were very low, I think just over 4%. So if you really want to see that short squeeze metrics come into play, like the ones we saw in the uh, pandemic era with GameStop and the like, then you need at least seeing short interest like at over 20% at least to signify that this is an actual short squeeze like the ones that we have been accustomed to nowadays. But so currently I think yes, although short positions on the company, I mean, the share price is down over 90% since listing. So definitely there are a lot of people holding on to those shorts. Traditionally, I don't think it was the traditional short squeeze that took place and more bit of a sentiment play. It saw that pop in the share price after Alonso got that podium. So at this point in time, purely driven on sentiment and not a traditional short squeeze like the likes of GameStop and the rest. Yeah,
1: I'm going to jump in here. So I I think the short squeeze question, it's such an interesting one. And it's an interesting dynamic to actually unpack because, you know, I I agree. I think, you know, you've got to look at what is the the open interest on short contracts. Uh, the, The flip side of that for me, Barry, is that the stock is very tightly held. So I think it's held by a lot of these large strategic investors, and, and this comes with two dimensions in that one is obviously that impacts your free float or the let's call it the stock or the availability of stock that's actually traded out there in the market. But similarly and specifically around the short question or, or you know short positions on the stock, you need to get access to lend the script in order to go short. And, you know, so potentially I would say when I look at a stock like this, that's increasingly being tightly held by strategic investors, it makes me a little bit nervous from from kind of looking at a short position simply because your availability or maybe even the cost of accessing script to go short on the stock might be impacted. So that's more of a a comment. I want to pick up on something additional that Barry's brought up, Ghost. And I want to touch on this point between, you know, Alonso being on the podium Versus the share price performance, because I, I think you know we've certainly seen that sentiment come through quite strongly. But you know, Ghost, I know you follow this very strongly, and I know I'm a long-standing and long-suffering Ferrari supporter, for example. And we haven't quite seen that link between F1 results and the share price performance when it comes to a stock like Ferrari. So, Ghost, I'm going to throw this one to you as our resident petrol head on this podcast, and, and see. Let's see what your view is in terms of that link between F1 results versus share price performance.
0: Yeah, I think it's a tenuous link at best. I mean, Ferrari is the perfect example, right? I think uh, Kimi Räikkönen was the last world champion at a time when Eskom still had reliable electricity. That was a long time ago. And Race, you know, the listed company that is Ferrari, it's trades under this ticker Race, which is just fantastic, has done fantastically well, despite really no success at uh, the top level of motorsport. They've kind of been playing second or even third fiddle for years now. And yet it doesn't seem to hurt the brand. If anything, them still being on track, yes, sure, it it helps. And Ferrari's branding has always been around motorsports. So without doubt, there is a benefit. There's no way that, you know, Mercedes-Benz, McLaren, all these brands would actually be out there racing unless they felt there was some benefit to it. But it's not necessarily the case, I think, that winning championships has this immediate knock-on for the business. I think Mercedes-AMG did well, sure, while they were winning world championships, but it's not like BMW wasn't selling cars or Audi for that matter. So I think just being there is obviously useful. Obviously being there, you know, in a decent position helps because you're getting lots of camera time. From an Aston Martin brand perspective, it certainly helps to have Alonso on the podium. That cannot possibly be a bad thing. But I think the link is relatively tenuous. And and I would be careful in trying to take too much in the way of racing success and imputing it into what is this listed company doing. Because Ferrari is a fantastic example that you don't need to be winning championships to necessarily be a great luxury brands company. And I suspect the reverse is true. Winning on track is not necessarily an indication of financial success off the track.
2: Yeah, I mean, the Ferrari case is definitely exceptional And we've all loved watching that share price move higher. I mean, just taking a step back, obviously we all know Ferrari is the oldest F1 team in the paddock. Your brand definitely needs no introduction. But I mean, if you take a step back and looking at the economic environment from its listing around, I think it was 2016, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, global markets were in this sort of euphoria that you can only buy stocks and everything would just move higher, right? I mean, we were in in the midst of the longest bull run ever. The wealthy were only getting wealthier. Which meant obviously that they could channel more of those funds to luxury goods. Every single wanted a piece of Ferrari, and the listing was giving them just more fuel to the fire. And luxury goods are definitely high in demand. I mean, if you obviously take that in comparison with AML's listing just two years after, I think around 2018, the company itself also faced a lot of headwinds. Market has changed, mechanics has changed. But yeah, I think the Ferrari story has been a winner for 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 a lot of investors out
0: there. And it really comes down to product. You know, Ferrari at the moment has one car in the showrooms but it's good enough that they can fill the order book one model that's it that's all ferrari has right now the pro is not even in the showrooms yet it's just the new i think it's a 296 gtb that's all you can order now whereas aston martin they have this full range but it just hasn't done that well and the problem is the r d budget as well it's a bit like these tech companies When they have smaller r d budgets it's harder and harder for their products to actually stay ahead of the curve for aston martin they're always playing catch up at one point when they had the vantage and the db9 they actually had great products and then it started to fall away everyone else overtook them and now they're behind the curve and to pull themselves back from that is exceptionally difficult really i think this suv is pretty much make or break and that's why stuff like supply chain issues you know really just doesn't help for them at all. So it'll be interesting to see if Aston can get it right. It's obviously a very special brand steeped in history, and there's no shortage of famous car manufacturers that have gone bankrupt or near bankrupt at some point or another. Most of them have a story like that. Even Porsche was in serious trouble at one point before the Cayenne came out. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens, and definitely some success on track. Can't be a bad thing for the Aston Martin brand, but the stock, definitely speculative. Trading only, I would say from an investment perspective, this thing is all over the place.
1: Yeah, I mean, Ghost, I, th- I think unfortunately that's, that's all we've got time for. I just want to maybe wrap with just a couple of high level thoughts to kind of summarize what is a bit of a, a top gear show that we've had here on Magic Markets. You know, we've discussed a lot of the models. I think the key takeaway points for me is that if we compare this company. We can either compare it to kind of luxury goods companies and let's throw Ferrari in there. So it's automotive luxury goods. And if we compare to the likes of a Ferrari, as you've indicated, you know, Ferrari has such strong brand presence that they literally will sell every model that they produce. Aston Martin, a bit on the back foot there. I think if you look at aspects around Aston Martin's R&D spend and trying to get that SUV right, you know, the SUV market, I think Barry mentioned it, you know, Aston Martin may be a little bit behind the curve there. For me, I see this very much as, agree with you, speculative kind of play on the stock. I think they're a long way away from actually turning this into a cash flow positive business. If you look at guidance, I think guidance is expecting this to turn profitable in about another two years time. That being said, if you look at what's happened to shareholders over the course of the last Let's call it two years or so, they've been consistently diluted as the company continues to you know just chew through the cash. They've gone, they found deep pocketed investors. Interestingly enough, just an observation, some of their investors are also very much related to their sponsors on the Formula One team. So if you look at their branding on the Formula One car, it's got Aramco. Aramco is predominantly the Saudi owned, state-owned oil company. So I think that's Lawrence Stroll really working his networks quite hard if you ask me uh, but long story short on this it's it's one I'm gonna watch with interest. I'm not confident enough to even play the stock from a, a speculative perspective simply because, I'm concerned around aspects around free float, how tightly held this is, but it's very interesting. Again, I want to thank Barry and the team from Tribe for putting this on the the radar, simply because it's topical right now, and that's what we do here at Magic Markets, is we talk about stuff that's interesting, that's front of mind, and we try and separate the noise from the actual underlying investment case. And I think we've kind of touched on a couple of key points here. Barry, it certainly will be very interesting to keep that in the back of our minds, For other people who are interested, Barry, where can our listeners find some of the content, some of the articles that you're putting out? Will they find it on the Tribe website?
2: Yeah, guys, so definitely we have a, a very upbeat and up-tempo research page on our website. So obviously, if you guys go to tribe.co.za you'll find it there under our market reviews. And we cover a, a wide range of companies. Obviously, we kind of look at the things that not uh, your traditional research offering will look at. So yeah, so please uh, move on over, have a look, let us know, give us a call. We're always happy to chat with anyone that engages with us.
0: Yeah, Barry, thanks so much. Thanks to the team at Tribe. Mo, thank you. We'll keep enjoying this Formula One season. Hopefully it will uh, get particularly interesting. I think the first race was a little bit one-sided, obviously, but you know, lots of interest further down the pack, which, of course, helps Aston Martin. But thank you so much. And to our listeners, enjoy the season. And don't worry, this isn't turning into a Formula One podcast, I promise. But uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks. Cheers. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. please, speak to your personal financial advisor.